KRCL 90.9 FM, HD1, Salt Lake City, Ogden, Provo, 96.7 FM in Park City, and on the web at krcl.org. Support for KRCL comes from our listeners and the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. Support for Radioactive on KRCL comes from our sustaining members and Mark Miller Subaru. Welcome to Radioactive, a show for grassroots activists, community builders, punk rock farmers, artists, and musicians. We'd love to hear from you. I'm Laura Jones. Connect with us, radioactive at krcl.org. If you'd like to come on the show, we're happy to pass the microphone if you're up to some good trouble and doing something cool in the community serving the community in particular. All right, coming up on the show tonight, we're talking about third parties. We're facing down the midterm general election in November, and it's time to talk about breaking the Democrat-Republican binary. So coming up, we've got former Salt Lake City Mayor Rocky Anderson of the Justice Movement and Wayne Woodfield of the United Utah Party. You can tweet at us. Our handle is KRCL Radio if you'd like to interject into the conversation later this hour. Also on the way, we hit the 1 million infection mark for COVID in Utah. We're going to find out what's up with Kylie Sage, a surveillance manager for the Salt Lake County Health Department. And also this hour, Black Pioneers, 175 years ago tomorrow, part of the first vanguard from uh, Mormon pioneers entering the valley. And of course, their story, not well known, not broadly known, but certainly deserving of dedication and memorialization at This Is The Place, and that is happening. We'll find out who they are and what their stories are in just a bit, so stick around and join the conversation. Now, if you go to krcl.org and click on the Community Affairs tab, you're going to find rallies and resources. Latino Conservation Week is still going on. Lots of things to do, including Aviary Night tonight at Tracy Aviary. And that's over at their new center off 33rd South and 11th West. Then there's paddles and paletas in the river this weekend. Lots of different things. And you can find the details at krcl.org. All right, let's get to our first special guest, but it has to deal with COVID. Get this theme music down a bit. We hit that 1 million mark, and Intermountain Healthcare held a press conference online earlier today. Here's Dr. Eddie Stenium talking about this milestone. And so we really have to look at alternative measures or complementary measures to really assess um, the state of transmission in the state of Utah. And when we look at wastewater surveillance, we see that um, we certainly have um, very significant transmission um, evident by increased uh, COVID in wastewater. When we look at test positivity, um, we see that that has um, gone up dramatically and appears to be stabilizing now. Um, when we look at ED syndromic surveillance, so looking at people coming into the emergency department and getting tested for COVID and whether or not they're positive or not, we've seen that spike considerably. Um, and we all know, you know, people in our circles, in our social circuits, in our families that have tested positive for COVID recently. Um, and so we certainly know that community transmission is quite extensive at this point. However, um, when we look at hospitalization, when we look at severe disease requiring ICU, when we look at deaths, um, we have a bit better of a picture. Um, deaths have not gone up significantly during uh, this phase of um, the pandemic with um, BA2 and BA5. 
um, ICU levels have remained relatively flat. So patients requiring the most intensive support for uh, COVID infection remain relatively flat. Um, but we have seen hospitalizations go up and gone up recently um, in the past uh, three weeks, um, which is driven by um, COVID infection, particularly by BA5. Dr. Eddie Stenium of Intermountain Healthcare from a press conference, virtual press conference with the media earlier today. So the pandemic is still here with us, folks. And joining us from Salt Lake County Health Department, we have Kylie Sage, who is a surveillance manager. What does that mean, Kylie? Sure. So my main goal as the surveillance manager for the Salt Lake County Health Department is to take the raw data that we're getting, and I specifically work with infectious disease data. So I'm taking that raw data, my team and I are distilling it down into information that can be used for decision making. Um, and so that's both internally and for external partners and for the general public to have that information available to make informed decisions. Well, Dr. Eddie had some good and bad news, it sounds like, today as we hit the 1 million mark, 1 million COVID infections since the pandemic started in 2020. What is the advice here in Salt Lake County based on the data that you're saying? Yeah, there's been a lot of chatter about the BA5 variant and really what we're seeing in Salt Lake County right now is that our cases are actually plateaued. They are at a high plateau and we are preparing to see additional cases. Um, and BA5 is here. It's the predominant strain in the country, in Utah. And so we can't expect to see more cases. Well, it's Pioneer Weekend, right? It is. The biggest parade in the state, I believe, happens on Saturday at 9 a.m. and lots of people camp out. And I'm just kind of curious if you're expecting another spike just from the activities that are going to happen this weekend. You know, for people who are up to date on their vaccines, going to events like this um, is totally fine and great. And we really encourage people to go out and do what they're comfortable with. In terms of seeing a spike as a direct result of the parade, that's really hard to predict. Um, we do know that COVID doesn't transmit as efficiently in an outdoor environment, but if people are really close together and they're not, you know, distancing themselves and not necessarily even the six feet, but just really piled in together. Have you been to a parade lately? <laughs> I grew up on parades, so <laughs> packed in is what happens on the 24th of July. So, folks, it's it's time to still take those precautions. Um, you know, I don't know what you, your thoughts are out there individually about vaccination and boosters, but it's time to think about that. It's time to revisit it, and especially when school starts in a month, there, there's some concerns as a surveillance manager. You know, school is an interesting setting because we do have kids in close contact for most of their day, um, the really good news about this school year is that we have vaccine available for all school-age children, um, including preschool, daycare, anybody six months and older can get vaccinated. So that is really promising. And are they working on some new, improved boosters or vaccinations for the fall? Yes, there is conversations about having an Omicron-targeted um, booster. And from what I understand, that will be for 18 and older at this time. Mm -hmm. um, but that is an exciting development in the vaccine world. In the meantime, on the news, we know President Biden has tested positive. Salt Lake City Mayor Aaron Mendenhall has tested positive. I believe Mayor Wilson a while, a couple weeks back. So it is out there and circulating and coming closer to a lot of people that uh, you may see in the news, but uh, also here at KRCL. And we're taking those precautions. And it's what, again, 
wash your hands, mask up if you've been exposed, if your family, you know, you don't want to take it to work with you. Are there any concerns floating around the Salt Lake County Health Department that you'd like to uh, use this opportunity to address and get a message out? Yeah, I would say, you know, with with BA5 and the emergence of that variant, um, the best thing that people can do right now to protect themselves is to get vaccinated. Um, and we've heard stories of people wanting to potentially delay boosters until the fall when they can get the Omicron targeted variant. And the reality is, is that there's risk right now. So if you are eligible for your booster right now, you should get that dose and then you can be boosted with the Omicron targeted um booster in the fall okay I have another question I just thought of because I was checking the expiration date on the tests I got you know when you can order it through the mail the U.S. United States Postal Service and I believe mine all expired on the 11th of July Mm -hmm. are they still good they are still good the FDA extended the expiration date for those tests I don't remember exactly what the time frame is but I believe it was nine months that they extended that expiration date And what is your concern with these tests and the potential for false negatives? Yeah, it is a big potential for the at-home tests. Um, We have been seeing that it takes longer to test positive on an at-home test than if you were to go to a testing site and get tested. Um, And so really, if you are feeling symptomatic and you test negative, on an at-home test, then we would recommend that you visit one of our testing sites and get tested there. Now, I'm looking at your website, slco.org health, or health.slco.org. It'll still get you there, right? Or is it .gov? It's .org. It's .org, thank you. I'll make sure to put the right one in the show notes, folks. It says appointments are not necessary, COVID testing is free, and there's some protocol before you visit and how to register in advance to make your testing visit go smoothly. Are you seeing the numbers of folks using this this testing service go up given the the spike we're experiencing? Um, Not necessarily. A lot of people are using their at-home tests. Um, And so we're seeing this interesting subset of cases that get reported to us, which are really people who are sick enough to seek medical care and get tested in a clinical setting, or for whatever reason are seeking out testing at one of our sites, Um, which is usually because it's free, it's, you know, they can go and there's not necessarily as high of a risk of a false negative as you would have with a with a home test. All right, folks, check tonight's show notes for a link to the County Health Department. And of course, one to coronavirus.utah.gov for statewide information. Kylie, thanks for coming in. I appreciate it. Good job. Thank you. All right, stick around, folks. We're going to get to the conversation about third parties. But right now, I wanted to share some information on Pioneers of 1847 being unveiled tomorrow to tell a more fuller picture of Utah's Uh, origins as a territory and as a state. And I spoke with Ellis Ivory, who is CEO and chair of the This is the Place uh, Foundation. And uh, this is what he had to say about telling a more fuller picture with these new monuments going in tomorrow at 10. That's right. I think we all know that the uh, original coming of the pioneers to the valley represented a lot of different countries, Scandinavia, England, Germany. They came from all over. But those who came that were from Africa, African descent, uh, were only those usually who had been often slaves or in that time, you got to recognize this was 1847. So it's uh, before Lincoln <laughs> did his work. And uh, 
So there was lots of, uh, what would I call it, uh, discord, I guess, in the country over the race issue. And yet, I think it is significant that these uh, particular people all had a very important role to play in as much as the uh, those first three men came in that very first company that came in, which we call the Vanguard Company. And then very significant that the lady that we honored, Jane Manning, had a very important role when she got here. But even before, she was the one that uh, lived in the home with Joseph and Emma Smith. And when Joseph was murdered, I, she was the right there and a wonderful caretaker for Emma. So we have Jane Manning James, then we have Green Flake, a name that I'm somewhat familiar with, and now Hark Wales and Oscar Smith, two brothers. I've got Robert Birch who will share some of their stories later, but this monument and how it came to be has a lot to do with uh, a man named Molly Bonner. I believe I'm saying that name correctly. Correct. When uh, Molly came to meet me, it was in May of last year with his uh, friend, Tamu Smith. Uh, they came in and he introduced her, Tamu, as uh, the descendant of Greenflake. Uh, I had been hearing about this Greenflake. Uh, I, uh, until this past year, I hadn't known anything about that either, but I was very interested when then she said she was a descendant of Greenflake and he was one who came in that original advanced company. And I said, well, do you know who this is? I've got a picture here. And I pulled a picture off my wall that was a picture of my great grandfather who was also in that company, Matthew Ivory. And so uh, she just said, well, that means that you, my, my ancestor and your great grandpa they were there together. They That first night, they slept at this spot down on 17th South and 5th East that's been set aside with a cute little memorial there with these rocks with names carved in. And one of the names is Matthew Ivory and one of the names is Greenflake. So Tamu came up and gave me a big hug and was just so, she thought that was just great, like we were kindred. And uh, that's how this journey began was in May. And so thanks to some help from many good uh, people who have helped with donations and some very, very wonderful sculptors and many people that have made this possible that now just, uh, just a little bit over a year later, we have this beautiful monument. So tomorrow at 10 a.m., what's going to happen? The dedication uh, will begin with a... Uh, a prayer by one of the, uh, uh, she's the, uh, Betty Sawyer is the president of the NAACP in Ogden. And then we will have uh, Molly who will give us his uh, story of the, the this whole experience. Uh, and following that, the governor, Governor Cox and uh, his dear wife, Abby are going to be with us. And the governor will speak and then we will have uh, President Ballard, M. Russell Ballard of the Quorum of the Twelve, the president, will be giving uh, a few words and then we'll dedicate the monument. 
and oh, a very important right at the beginning, I have the great honor of together with five wonderful people uh, who are descendants, including Tamu of Greenflake, and I get to take the wraps off of the uh, statues and the uh, big stones that tell the story. So that will happen right at the very beginning. I, I almost skipped that very important thing is the unveiling. <laughs> that happens first and then it's available for all of the people of Utah and the world as they come through to experience this new addition to This is the Place Heritage Park. Well, Ellis, this is a great addition to a more fuller picture of Utah's origins. What do you want folks to leave with viewing this addition to the park? Well, we've had a, a, a goal as long as I've been here. And frankly, a lot of this comes from President Ballard, who I think we all know how involved he has been in community things uh, his whole life and uh, very concerned about making sure this park is a park for everyone. And we've had wonderful projects with his uh, support, such as the Walk of Pioneer Faiths, where we feature uh, the other religions that came in and besides the Mormons in the 1800s. But I think that's the, this is one more step in trying to make the park uh, actually represent the inclusion, the unity that I hope we can all feel and which is so needed in the world today. I mean, needless to say, in so many areas we're, we're divided. It looks like now we're even divided over football with our University of Utah. <laughs> and uh, this, this is to show that we are truly united and, and looking at the big picture of the freedom of people, the, the rights of people and, uh, I think this is the right place to do it because this is a state park, although it's run by a foundation that was set up by the legislature. But being a state park, we have a duty to do our very best to, re to represent the full story and to represent all the people of Utah. Ellis Ivory, CEO and president of This is the Place Foundation. Again, tomorrow at 10 a.m., the unveiling of these pioneers of 1847. And I wanted to know a little bit more about their story. So I called up Robert Birch of Semahadithi African American Heritage and Cultural Foundation to talk about with this, uh, talk about it with us, but also to share what it means to have these statues going into this as the place heritage park. Here's that conversation. Well, you know, the, the dominant religion in Utah has also had the dominant narrative of the history of Utah. And that dominant narrative has been uh, predominantly European, um, and really pretty exclusive with the exception of a few things about uh, Native Americans being Lamanite. And so, but this offers, uh, in, in addition to uh, the, that uh, dominant history, the history of African-Americans who arrived early in the settling of, of, of Utah in, in, in the Salt Lake Valley. Uh, so uh, the three of those people that are being uh, uh, installed in the monuments on tomorrow are Greenflake, uh, Oscar Smith, and Hark Wallace. And at the time that they entered 
the valley at the first encampment site in uh, near downtown Salt Lake. Uh, they was the first of four with the other being part of P. Pratt and they were all enslaved men at the time. And so it literally changes the narrative of how Latter-day Saints arrived into the valley. Uh, um, most people assume that there was this white company that arrived and they set up camp, but not anything about the Vanguard company, which was these four men, uh, three of which who were slaves. Uh, it also uh, gives an opportunity to tell more story of uh, Jane Manning James and of that group. We probably know more about her than anyone. But uh, so the first encampment, uh, the first, the Vanguard Company came in July 22nd of 1847. Jane would have arrived later that year in September. Uh, and she would have arrived with uh, her husband, uh, even though her husband is not going to be on the monument. She would have arrived in Salt Lake City in September with her husband, uh, Isaac, and uh, one of their children which was actually a, a child that her husband adopted because it was from uh, previously. And, and also at the time, Jane was expecting. So uh, the way they have Jane rendered would have been later on, a, a few years later, because both of her kids are big, uh, or bigger, I should say. So it's not really a rendering of her arriving in Salt Lake with her family. Uh, so it is significant in that, one, the location that they have it at, just is the place. When you get up to the main uh, visitor center, they have that uh, giant statue of uh, Brigham Young and some other folks. And just in front of that, there is a circle of court. And right to the right off of that circle of court where the, those monuments would be. So literally, as soon as you enter the park, you would be able to see those uh, those black pioneers. And I think that is very significant for people who arrived there to, to, to realize right from the start that Latter-day Saints, have, black Latter-day Saints have been there from the beginning. Well, and how much about the narrative of these folks also arriving as, uh, I'm, I'm not sure of each individual story, as slaves and what that yes. expands in our understanding of um, the formation of Utah. Well, uh, unfortunately, or I guess unfortunately would be the right turn that many uh, people, especially Latter-day Saints, don't believe that Utah was ever a slaveholding state, first of all. So for them, that totally changes the narrative uh, of what Zion is about, because we have this myth mythological idea of what Zion, Utah, is. And it is one of those things that really shatters what that idea of Zion is, is that we did have slaves and there were slaveholders. And then ultimately, the governor of the territory, Brigham Young, made a decision uh, along with the legislature to make Utah a uh, slave state because they literally had the option not to. Uh, I believe when, when they made... Uh, uh, Utah slaveholding state. I want to say it was Arizona, perhaps California. I can't remember the history right off the top. Is that these two territories had had an opportunity to decide whether they was going to be slave or free. One chose to be free. Within a couple of months, Utah chose not to be. And as I recall from 
things I was told, it was part of the agreement, the compromise in order to be yes. admitted to the union. Yes, right. And so there was a there was a lot of politics involved with it, uh, especially from out east. When you look at the United States map, even today, uh, from I believe it's from Kentucky eastward, there's literally a straight latitudinal line straight out to California. Uh, and that was uh, the negotiation that was going on between the northern states and the southern states at the time that if we expanded west, that part of the country would remain slave, meaning below the Mason-Dixon line. The Mason-Dixon line does not stop at, stop at Kentucky. It goes all the way out to California. Uh, and everything above would be free. But now with the balance in the Senate, in the U.S. Senate, uh, this, the, the South was very concerned that if more slaveholding states came on, then their political control or balance would be lessened by having more free, free states because those free states would have two more senators for each state. And so that was they, their way of trying to maintain, maintain balance, mm -hmm. even all the way out to California. Yeah. So. Well, more history as we celebrate 1847. And speaking of history, Robert, your foundation, Semahadithi, has Black History Walking Tours coming up once it gets a little yes. cooler in September. <laughs> Remind folks yes. about those and how they can keep an eye on it and get signed up. Well, we have uh, our regular annual history conference is in September. Uh, so on Friday the 16th, we call that our Day of Remembrance or Ancestral Remembrance Celebration. So we will be gathering on that Friday evening at Zion uh, Banks uh, Founders uh, Conference uh, Center in downtown Salt Lake. On that same day, we will be doing a walking tour of downtown Salt Lake City to, to see some of the, the the uh, older areas that were once uh, black enclaves. And then on Saturday is our regular history conference from, from uh, 10 a.m. to 5 p.m. So we'll be there all day at the SJ Quinney School of, of Law at the University of Utah. And that is Robert Birch of the Semahadithi African American Heritage and Culture Foundation. Check tonight's show notes for a link to his nonprofit, the events he just mentioned, as well as tomorrow's dedication of the pioneers of 1847, honoring Green Flake and Jane Manning James and others. It's going to be a, a pretty special and historic event, and afterward, just available at This Is The Place State Heritage Park, where you can go check it out. So stick around. We're going to talk about third-party politics. Can we break the Republican-Democrat binary choice? Coming up next on Radioactive. The Americans with Disabilities Act turns 32 this month. The Utah Division of Services for People with Disabilities helps people with disabilities live their best, most independent life by providing services such as employment and independent living in their communities. Learn more at dspd.utah.gov. Support for KRCL comes from Mark Miller Subaru, a community partner of YWCA Utah and the Stand Against Racism Challenge. Mark Miller Subaru loves diversity. Learn more at ywcautah.org and markmillersubaru.com. KRCL's Music Meets Movies is proud to support the Utah Film Center's Outdoor Summer Film Series screening of Summer of Soul, Friday, July 29th at Liberty Park. 
Questlove's directorial Oscar-winning debut features interviews and performances by legendary artists like Stevie Wonder, Nina Simone, Sly and the Family Stone, and many more. No ticket necessary, but an RSVP is recommended. Summer of Soul, or when the revolution could not be televised. Friday, July 29th at Liberty Park. Doors at 8 p.m., movie at dusk. For more details and to RSVP, head to krcl.org. That's right. We want to know how many folks are coming, so if we got to elbow out some more room at the park, we can do it. And Rocky Anderson has already got his hand up. He's going to be there. Hey, Rocky, how you doing? I'm doing great. Good and to be with you, and I love your digs here. Oh, I you like our new studios? I haven't been to your studio since yeah, you've moved. Yeah, so next time you'll have to bring the, the puppy. Yeah, okay. I will. Right. So Rocky is here representing the Justice Movement, new name for the Justice Party, and also joining us in the studio we have from the United Utah Party, Vice Chair Wayne Woodfield. Hey, Wayne, how you doing? Hello, doing well, thank you. So we want to talk third-party politics, folks. I don't know about you, but after the primary, I'm just not happy with what's on my ballot. I'm not happy with primaries, period, or electoral poll. I'm just not happy is what it comes down to, Rocky and Wayne. So let's start with a little bit of backstory on your parties, where they come from, and why. Rocky, why don't you go first? Tell us about Justice Party. All right. We, we founded the Justice Party in late 2011 and ran a presidential election in 2012, the campaign reached millions of people around the country. There was so much interest, and a lot of it was because we were addressing issues that neither of the duopolis parties, duopolis. Republican and Democratic like parties, and, and they have formed a political duopoly. It, did you know they hijacked the presidential debate away from the League of Women Voters? The head of both of those parties got together, and they said, we're not going to let this happen again. That's when the League of Women Voters were allowing third party or independent yeah. candidates on the stage, John Anderson, I've read about it, yeah. Ross Perot, and, and they said, no, we're not going to let this happen again. You know, when, when um, John Anderson was on the stage during the first presidential debate, our president, the incumbent Jimmy Carter, would not attend the debate. Wow. Well, we're seeing this play out in perhaps the next presidential election. Uh, we've already, in the primaries, saw Republicans refusing to participate in the debate commission uh, yep. debates held here. Yep. Um, Republicans indicating they may not participate in the presidential debates if it's they were held and organized the way they have been. Yeah, isn't that amazing? Uh, it, anyway, so they did that, and then the, the, the two parties in the state legislatures have made it virtually impossible in many of the states for third party or independent candidates to even get on the ballot. And then you've got this horrible trend toward, like in California, the top two vote getters in the primary are the only ones on the general ballot, general election ballot. So you might have two Democrats, two Republicans. You don't have any third party or independent representation on those ballots. So they, they really have turned it into a political duopoly. But um, I also, and I'll just say it straight out, I think it's absolutely irresponsible in elections when you've got really awful candidates that might win over not so awful candidates. I mean, the, the Gore-Bush election, it changed the world. Mm -hmm. And Ralph Nader's a great friend. In fact, I think I got him on one of your yeah. interviews years mm -hmm. ago. Uh, uh, and, Jill Stein. And we've had these discussions, but, but Jill Stein 
if those who voted for Jill Stein in 2016 had voted for Hillary Clinton, Donald Trump never would have been president of the United States. I don't think, and I know there's some analysts and certainly Ralph Nader that argue that it could be otherwise, but it was too close. In Florida, Ralph Nader should have done the right thing and said, look, too much is on the line here. Vote for Al Gore. And those voters should have voted for Al Gore. I mean, we can't just blame Nader. We can blame the, the hundreds of thousands of, of Florida Democrats that voted for Bush in that election. So, so the Justice Party, an answer, a response, a movement to what you see as the, the failings of the third parties that are out there, the failings of the duopoly? Well, what we're doing now, and this, this is the reason we changed recently the name to Justice Movement, and this is really what we've always been about, even though we did run that campaign, that it, it wasn't about winning. And if we thought we were going to have an impact in a battleground state, we would have pulled out of that state in that election. But there's no question that most social progress, major social progress in this country has come about because of the power of the people. Even when they've got huge amounts of money and powerful institutions aligned against them, just think about it. The, the anti-slavery movement, the successes of these movements, the women's suffrage movement, civil rights movement, the labor movement, the, the farm workers movement, the LGBTQ plus rights movement. Look, look at how so many people that just would not let up at the grassroots level prevailed. And in this state, most recently, I think this is such a compelling case, we had the legislature aligned against legal medical cannabis. We had the LDS Church. I mean, Marty Stevens speaking from the pews, telling you know, telling people not to vote for the the initiative. We had the governor against it, and the people prevailed on the initiative. And today we have what nobody ever thought would happen in Utah, uh, and that cannabis. is legal medical cannabis. So it's uh-huh. the power of the people, and 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 I just want to impress that. It's up to every one of us. Whatever role we play, we've got to be engaged. Certainly vote, get involved in campaigns if you want, but where the real power lies is in movements and people coming Mm. together without being divided, according to partisanship, and pushing together. You know who one of my greatest allies is right now working on prison and jail reform? Phil Lyman. What? Phil Lyman. Most people would think Phil Lyman and I wouldn't even be able to have a a conversation. We're great friends because we have this one issue. It was funny. In my first introduction to him, he got on the phone, and we're talking to these legislators and family members of people who have died at the county jail, especially Salt Lake County Jail. It's a disaster. And the prison. And he introduced himself, and he said, you know, uh, as many of you know, I, I served some time in a county jail. For those who don't know, it's because the he ATV rode his ATV on the wilderness, and he ended up getting pardoned by Trump. But anyway, and we're all kind of laughing about it. And he said, so I spent some time in a county jail, he said. And I met some really horrible people there. And let me tell you, none of them were inmates. From wow. that from that wow. moment forward, you guys he and I a, became great friends. Well, I want to get Wayne Woodfield in here from the United Utah Party. Formed out of what and when and why, Wayne? Yeah, it was formed out of frustration about extremism. It was during the uh, when Jason Chaffetz resigned 
Yes. Uh, there was a one big... re-election and then resigned, as I recall. Yeah, right? one re-election and resigned very Fa- soon after. Family reasons. Family, family reasons. I that's code to, for to Fox be, uh, News. To be on Fox News, correct. Okay. So uh, and then the Republican Party got to say who replaced him, as opposed to having an election, letting the people decide. Sure. Uh, there. <laughs> There was, however, an election, uh-huh. and uh, during that special election, uh, the United Utah Party was already in the midst of forming, yeah. and our paperwork you know, and, and the process had been slowed, much like what you said, it's very hard to form a third party. There's a lot of resistance that mysteriously creeps up, and so uh, as we put forward a candidate, our candidate was Jim Bennett, who's the son of uh, Senator Bob Bennett. Uh, you know, uh, famously formed out, forced out during the Tea Party era. It, it was my my father was one of the state delegates who mm-hmm. was there uh, when he was ousted in convention. Said it was just shameful how he was booed, uh, just for being not quite conservative enough. Not mm-hmm. the the purity check just wasn't there for him. And I think it was eye opening for the Bennett family, I suppose, because Jim mm-hmm. came and ran uh, with the United Utah Party. Uh, they forbid him from running, saying, oh, your paperwork wasn't quite in time. It was easily in time. Uh, they just hadn't processed it. They said, well, it's, it's, it's not when you file it. It's when we process it. And we didn't process it in time. So wow. we ended up filing a lawsuit uh, to get our candidate on the ballot. Uh-huh. And the lawsuit, uh, we, we prevailed. Uh, the, the, the judge said, what, what harm is being done by not running this candidate? And why did this take you so long? And it was – they, they – no Sheep- good answer, right? No good answer. They yeah. they sheepishly allowed our, our candidate to run. Well, so is the United Utah Party just um, uh, where exiles from Democrats and Republicans go? What's your affiliation prior to this? My affiliation was as a Republican. I was, in fact, a, a precinct chair. Uh, I always had an uneasy relationship with the more radical element of the Republican Party. I think a lot of people do, really. And uh, except those who, you know, subscribe to that, that system of and beliefs. And hold power. And some hold power. Mm-hmm. I, I, I truly believe that there are many in the Republican Party that do hold power that really are doing it for the right reasons, are moderate conservatives. Mm-hmm. Uh, but every time I see one that gets knocked off and replaced by somebody who is part of the more Sorry. radical wing, yeah. it is a little disheartening. Steve Handy, that just happened to him? It just primaries. happened. It happened to several people in this last election. Um, we, uh, we as a party are not just for exiles. We... Uh, we, we do pick up some people that just are, are coming into the political system and are just disenchanted by everything they see. But a lot of people that are, are you know, influencers in our party came from you know, political activity somewhere else. Uh, but it's, it's been interesting. It's been proportionate to the population of Utah. You know, we, we have, I would say, you know, about you know, two-thirds of us came maybe from, from a conservative background. About a third of us came from a, a liberal background. And the amazing thing is we've had to look each other in the eye and, and understand each other, and uh, that has made all the difference for us. We so those compromises that um, must be made in a new party as opposed to the strict kind of rules and lanes of Democrat-Republican have to be made anew. In fact, the ideology is almost not a part of what our party platform is about. What's your uh, platform? The, the platform focuses on four main pillars. They are civility, integrity, good governance, finding common ground. And those are things I think every party would say, oh, yeah, we believe in those two. Come play with us. Yep. So but how, does it, how does it work itself out differently? They, 
your party? The way it works out differently is when a person comes into our party, we don't require them to have any particular set of beliefs. We, we ask them to come with good faith and a belief in these tenets. Then, and, and they will, and you know, some of them coming from the right are going to be all in with you know, pro-life, Second Amendment, small government. People coming in from the left are going to be all in with health care for all, pro-choice, pro you know, gun control. Gun reform. Yeah, all, all of these things. And they'll be all in with these beliefs until they hear from somebody on the other side who it, it behooves them now that they have met this person to see the world through their eyes. Yeah. Once we understand that people, when they come into the political process, their motives are generally benevolent. Mm -hmm. which is something we don't assume good intent anymore I feel like we really don't but I think most even politicians which is harder to believe <laughs> when they get up and run for office this yeah. is not a very glamorous job until yeah. you get to a certain level yeah. it doesn't pay well it's uh -huh. volunteer work by and large these people are getting into it because they really believe in what they're doing they want to make America or Utah, or Salt Lake, your neighborhood, or your community, a better place. This is what they want. How they go about it is just a matter of their priorities. It's a matter of their experiences. And once you come to understand that mm -hmm. about your neighbor, about somebody who you think is absolutely nuts, then it behooves you to try and see the world through their eyes. Yeah. You're listening to Radioactive on KRCL 90.9. If you'd like to comment on this conversation, we're on Twitter at KRCL Radio. I'm going to check those now. But Rocky Anderson is here from the Justice Movement, formerly the Justice Party, and also Wayne Woodfield from the United Utah Party. Rocky, how do we break this duopoly? Is it possible? Well, I think the important question is, first of all, I, I love what you said about your approach and civility and finding common ground and all that, Wayne. But look at what Mitch McConnell said. As soon as Barack Obama was elected, he said, our number one priority is to make certain that he's not reelected. Are you kidding me? These people voted for by the American people to go back and solve problems, and their number one priority is partisanship. Make sure that their party wins over the other party. It's become this horrible blood team sport, and yeah. we're all suffering. So the, what we're doing, the, I think the way to accomplish what we're really after is don't just get excited about elections, vote, and then go back to business as usual and go – go to sleep between elections, yeah. that's when the, your work just has begun. And I've done an analysis on so many issues, taking a look at where the majority of the people of this country are, what they want. The majority of people in this country want uh, equal educational opportunities and uh, a, a huge reform in terms of the student debt problem and relief from student debt. They want to get. They want to do away with presidential war making. Get back to what the founders intended through the War Powers Clause, and that is that Congress decides. Unless we've been invaded, it's Congress's decision, and they make the final decision. And the president's just the commander in chief. Congress doesn't want to Congress, own the decision, though, because they, then they can get voted out of office. Though. Yeah, th and that's exactly what's happening. I'll tell you, if they had had arisen to their constitutional duties and debated the issues and voted on whether to go to war, we would not have had a Vietnam War. We would not have had an Iraq War. 
Isn't that yeah. amazing? Yeah. They, and, and instead we're lied into these wars. The, 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 the majority of people in this country want universal health care without regard to partisanship. Now, there you've got a partisan difference. On most of these issues, you don't. The, the majority of Republicans and the majority of Democrats and independents want, for instance, mm -hmm. a vast reduction in our incarceration rates. Mm -hmm. They, they want to see a focus on rehabilitation and not punishment, not more imprisonment. And most people in this country want to see effective action taken on climate, on affordable housing. I mean, there's so many things that the, the people in this country want from government that we're not getting. And it's because of the corrupting influence of money and this vicious partisanship. All right. How do we turn it around locally? I want to, in the time we have left here, about 15 minutes, talk about how we can break this down locally, how we can get more folks. Because like you said, if you vote every two years and then you go away and sleep, you're not really invested in this change that has to happen from the, the grassroots up. You've got a lot of issues that can get into the policy weeds, and elections tend to be popularity contests. How do we, how do we get around yeah. it? You remember Joe Hill, yep. great union organizer, Absolutely. executed where Sugarhouse mm -hmm. Park is now. What did he say just before he was executed? Don't mourn, organize. Yeah. Don't boo. If we organize, <laughs> organize don't sit Alabama around and just complain, it. but... Organize. organize, come together and push relentlessly. And that's how all these movements have been so successful. And that's why we, ha I, I know the Supreme Court ruled on it, but the Supreme Court wouldn't have ruled the way it did on marriage equality had there not been a vast movement yeah. in this country and popular acceptance. Mm -hmm. Wayne. There, there's a few factors that keep third parties out of the game in Utah politics right now. Uh, there, there's an easy one and there's a hard one. I guess the hard one is that politics has been a game of fear for many years now. And whenever people are afraid, voting for a third party, and you mentioned some of the pitfalls of third parties, how they can split the vote. Um, the only way to get somebody to win is to convince people that you can win. And it is most responsible to bring a third party candidate forward if they can win. or one of the ways we somewhat absolve ourselves of that is being moderate enough yeah. that we pull proportionately from both sides and maybe don't just split the conservative vote or just uh, you know split the liberal vote. But when people are afraid and they've been told, in this polarized political climate, you almost can't help it. The, the motive is, I'm afraid that my enemy will win. And I say my enemy, not my opponent, because that's what they've been taught now. And that would just be the worst. So I will do whatever it takes to keep them from winning. I'll vote for whoever can beat them. And that's automatically a tactical vote, an insincere vote. It's, it's a vote that you're not voting for the person you like best. You're voting for the person you hate least or the person who you think will get the person you hate least out of office. The opposite of that is support, optimism, hope. I'm, I'm voting for this person because I really like what they stand for. I'm getting behind them. When you get that kind of mentality among people, then they will vote for whoever they think is best. It's a sincere vote, not a tactical vote. And that's what we're shooting for. But then the backlash is, because the Hopi changey stuff with Obama, the backlash was he couldn't deliver. They didn't deliver. So it didn't work. Give up on it. And that's, again, politics of fear, Rocky. That's absolutely. Cynicism is, in my view, spiritual death, and it's irresponsible. 
to to resign yourself and people that say oh i'm I, as if they're too cool for politics well politics is our approach to public life public issues and nobody should anybody's being i mean you've given up your standing i think as a a, a moral actor when you do that We've oh well you just said moral involved. actor which feels like an oxymoron when we talk about politics today Rocky. well i know okay but i i want to point out one thing about third parties in many states, uh, it's been decades, uh, in fact, in some case over 100 years. In Utah, since 1956, that we voted for somebody other than a Republican or a Democrat for state or federal office when we've elected somebody. That was a, that was a state legislator in 1956. Wow. In Michigan, it, it was 1912. I'm just picking out a few... In Delaware, 1854. Colorado, 1900. We say we like so, Mavericks in this country, but apparently <laughs> only if there's an R and a D by their name. And, and you know, if you look at the polls, uh, it's over 60% of the people that it, it support third parties, they say. Mm -hmm. So they when say they support the general, third parties, they but do. they won't get behind them when yeah. it comes time to voting. Well, I think the Evan McMullen campaign is going to be an interesting Let's one to watch. Let's talk about that. So yes. Democrats did not put up that at convention, primary convention, before the primaries, the convention, they decided not to nominate somebody and therefore throw their support behind Evan McMullen, who is running as an independent, but I understand he's aligned with a lot of what the United Utah Party does, Wayne. Is that the case? He is. So Evan McMullen is a moderate conservative, and as such, he's somebody that – you know, we, we can get what behind. do those terms mean? I'm so I am so it's so well, divisive. Well, in Utah, is that right or left of the John I, I Birch just, Society? That's all. Yeah, I, I just I, quite I, quite left of the John Birch Society, I'm sure. Yeah, but anyway, I'm Evan, sorry. Evan, <laughs> so well, okay, you get a chance uh, yes, to rebut. Our, Go ahead, Wayne. Our, our relationship with the Evan McMullen campaign yeah. is Evan McMullen's doing something kind of novel, and that is rather than trying to unite everybody under a banner, he's trying to unite banners. Mm -hmm. He's trying to go out and say, join my coalition of parties. With the Democratic Party, they have joined his coalition of parties, in a sense, uh -huh. by not nominating anybody. The United Utah Party, at their convention this year, formally uh, uh, voted to uh, endorse Evan McMullen. Okay. And so as a formal endorsing party, we you know, are uh, enabled to go and campaign for him and and be part of his coalition of parties and so okay. he is he is in many ways somebody who like we can host campaign activities for him and people won't look at us sideways for it. <laughs> but that well, makes him a today. but it makes him a second party candidate it's not the classic yeah. third party correct because we don't have that third party because the democratic party bailed on it which i'm, I'm glad they did because they would have been the spoiler they never could have won this election. Mm -hmm. So I think this is a very unique situation. Do you think you can pull it off? You've got a one-party state, basically, yep. and everybody else can align themselves now yep. behind another candidate. And, and I think the dislike for Mike Lee is so huge, so mm -hmm. substantial in the state, I think he can pull it off. I, I, I think he might pull it off. Lee's poll numbers are interesting. It depends yeah. on who's uh, issuing the poll and the news about it. Does Evan McMullen have a, a chance in your estimation, Rock? I think he I think he absolutely has a chance. But it's going to take people getting out to vote and stop taking this attitude of, of uh, you know, somebody isn't perfect and I'm not going to vote because Democrats didn't put somebody up. Damn it, get out and vote. If young people in this country voted in the, in the next election, 
in the midterms. The Democrats would have a majority in the House and the Senate. There is no question about that. The results are have been the way they have been, and it's been devastating this country in large part because young people are not voting, and, and they've left both these parties or not joined them in droves. I love one of the things you said that was he is a second-party candidate. In Utah, 40% of people identify as conservative, 40% identify as moderate, is approximately, and 20% identify as liberal. So uh, a lot of people who are moderate have fallen you know, to, to one side of the fence or the other, which gives the duopoly you know, the, the power to control things. But really, when it comes down to it, we see the United Utah Party as being a potential second party. We, yeah. we see it as somebody who has more support for its ideologies. And I, I said before that we don't have ideologies, but we people do, when they join the United Utah Party, become more moderate and tend to adopt more moderate ideologies. Interesting. All right. We have just about eight minutes left, gentlemen. So what is your best pitch uh, or your concerns moving forward to get to break this duopoly? Rocky. Well, we tell everybody, we don't care what party you're affiliated with or if you're affiliated with anybody. Come join this movement. And and it's a matter of numbers. It's a matter of strategy. But if we all join together on what the majority of people in this country want from our government, we're finally going to get it, including campaign finance reform. I, that's that's the thing I think that can really break the duopoly. How are we going to get it with yeah. this conservative Supreme Court? Well, a, a constitutional amendment <laughs> after Citizens United. That's yep. what it's going to take, gonna unfortunately. Take but but a, again, we can we can accomplish so much as a people if we just learn from history, the success of all these movements. You didn't have people in the civil rights movement saying, oh, are you Republican, you a Democrat? And we didn't win this election, so I'm going home. They had a cause together. And you know, Martin Luther King Jr. stopped by the White House after the Civil Rights Act was passed in 1964, told Lyndon Johnson, now it's time for a Voting Rights Act. Lyndon Johnson said, no, this country isn't ready for it yet. And so we had all the wrong people elected But what it took was for Martin Luther King Jr. to go back. People rose up in Selma. This whole country came together. Lyndon Johnson then called a joint session of Congress, gave one of the greatest speeches of all time, and they passed the Voting Rights Act within weeks. It's a great great moment in our history. Wayne, what do you think as the United Utah Party to make this happen? So I mentioned there's a hard way and an easy way. The hard way is getting everybody to stop being afraid. That's difficult. The easy way is there are a lot of key reforms that we can do right now. I mentioned of our four pillars, uh, good governance is one of them. We have several key reforms that we work for in the United Utah Party. Alternate voting methods is one of them. If we had, for example, a voting method that allowed people to express a second and third ballot, such as ranked choice or approval voting. Yeah, approval voting. Approval voting is a good one. All of these moderate the vote. They encourage candidates to uh, have to appeal to a broader base of people. It makes it so that uh, people can vote sincerely, Mm -hmm. can vote for a third party, but not feel like they're throwing away their vote because if their third party candidate loses, then they still have not forfeit the opportunity to express their vote in a second round of balloting, for example, in ranked choice or in approval voting. I know you've got something coming up tomorrow as well that we wanted to mention. Yes. So uh, tomorrow, I, I mentioned that our party supports the Evan McMullen campaign. He's doing 
uh, an event uh, tomorrow morning at 10 o'clock a.m., Mm-hmm. I'll have to pull up. And we'll put a link in the show notes. While yeah, p- put a link in the show notes and I can mention where that is. It is in uh, 1375 Concord Street in Salt Lake City. It's the Glendale Branch Library. Okay. They're going to be doing a volunteer summit. We've had a lot of mm-hmm. messages from people saying, how can I help his campaign? And they're doing that. What about a Vote the Bums Out campaign? Oh, that would be lovely. And, and in fact, that is one of the things the United Utah Party is doing that a lot of third parties are not doing. We are running candidates. We have 24 candidates statewide in this election. And that's the difference between an advocacy group and a, and a political party is a political party runs candidates. We have candidates. Yeah. And so you're going to get the opportunity to vote for some of them. Jay McFarland, who is a uh, former radio personality here in Utah, very, you know, very well known and excellent candidate. He's running in uh, the congressional second district. And we have January Walker, a newcomer who's running in the fourth district. She's excellent. We have uh, Kimberly Wagner, who's running against the Senate president right now up in uh, Senate 22. We are giving you people to vote for. So that's something everybody can do. So at the very least, understand who's the incumbent and then vote for the challenger. (laughs) That would be fine. (laughs) Historically, and this is a fascinating thing. Yeah. Whenever the United Utah Party has run against an unopposed candidate, for example, a Republican candidate mm-hmm. that no, no Democrat steps forward to run because historically they've never won in that district yeah. before. Usually it ends up being, what, 72 to you know 28%, you know, 68, 32, something like that. Whenever we put a United Utah Party candidate in that same slot and they run against an unopposed Republican, they will usually do better. They, so they're building. They're building. United Utah Party is building. We have had candidates get as much as 39% of the vote, 40% of the vote, within a stone's throw of winning these things. And that mm-hmm. is always the hardest thing as a third party to do is to convince people that we can win. But that yeah. is the message is we can win. Rocky, vote the bums out. What do you think? Uh, well, not every incumbent is a bum, but the bums, yes. Get them out of there. Because, <laughs> you know, our, our governor said that uh, – we're facing this problem with the Great Salt Lake because uh, of, of the complacency over the years. We've been too, his word was lackadaisical. My God, talk about lackadaisical. He, he was the, the czar over COVID when our legislature was going to buy all this hydroxychloroquine. I think that was the name of it. I mean, it, it just, it, 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 and on climate, they have been standing by doing nothing but favors for the fossil fuel industry all these years. And they were warned. Governor Huntsman formed a Blue Ribbon Task Force. I don't think a lot of people know that. In fact, I don't think Herbert knew about it, and he was his lieutenant governor. At least he didn't read it. But all the major scientists on climate from every major university in this state opined. They, 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 they sounded they came the up alarm. with a consensus opinion about climate and what needed to be done and where we we're going to be and they said all of our river basins are going to be dried up if we don't stop burning fossil fuels and you'd think nobody had ever mentioned any of that so yeah throw those bums out hold them accountable go back and look at their records and the one thing i always say laura uh, somebody's reputation is built on what they've done and not what they say they're going to do. It ought to be the same for anybody that is seeking elective office. What's the website for the justice movement? It is justicemovement.us. 
And please just sign up. You're not signing up for any party affiliation. We don't care about your affiliation. We just want you to join in this democratic movement. Wayne, the United Utah Party. UnitedUtah.org. Learn about us there. Volunteer there. Well, thanks so much for coming in. I hope you'll come back, thanks, especially Lord. as we steam toward 2024 and and uh, help us understand what's going on and encourage people to get out and vote, get registered and vote. Rocky Anderson, Wayne Woodfield, thank you so much. Thank Thank you very much. Thanks to all of our guests tonight and you for listening, for plugging into your community. Questions, comments, suggestions, you can email radioactive at krcl.org. I'm Laura Jones. Thanks for listening. Have a great night. KRCL, Salt Lake City. Get out your calendars. We've got a date you've been waiting for. KRCL's annual record in CD sale will be kicking off Friday, September 9th as part of the KRCL Block Party. It's on 909. Get it? We've been collecting your donated vinyl over the past two years, and we have to say, it might be the best we've ever had. So mark your calendars, September 9th, for the KRCL record and CD sale and block party. If you're looking to get rid of your vinyl, we're still taking those tax-deductible donations of your gently used records. Email me, eric, at recordsale at krcl.org for more information.